Or if this is a space where you're like, oh man, I have done some work here. I'm feeling like the strong leaves on the outside. Kapai. Everybody is welcome. Um, and yeah, we're, we're all able to be in the room, no matter what space you're in. Thank you. Um, the third thing is that um, I'm here. And the stuff that comes up for us in this conversation um, over the next month, um, there's just like heaps of opportunity to clarify and to talk. Um, Blueprint isn't a faceless institution. Um, It's just a a gathering of people um, who come together around Christ who have a bunch of shared cultures and customs. Um, But yeah, no mind. If you want to talk something out, if you disagree, if you're curious, if you want to know more, um, please hit me up. I love to go for coffee. Um, Often end up at the end of the day being too caffeinated, but here would love to connect with you. So um, yeah. Make yourself known. Herbal tea. Herbal tea. Yes, Jess, so good. But not green tea. That actually has caffeine in it. Um, <laughs> amen. So good. So, all right, getting into it. Week one, here we are. We are talking about the dirty word of intimacy. So, intimacy means closeness. It means connection. It means familiarity. And humans, we are hardwired for connection. We long for intimacy to be known and to know others. And in this talk, I wanted to provide a definition of intimacy so that we're all on the same page. And I'm defining that as the honest sharing of yourself and receiving back. So there's mutual sharing. And it encompasses the desire to be known, the desire to be important and to matter to somebody or to multiple people, and the desire to belong. So I just wanted to clarify a point of language. Um, I'm not using intimacy as a code word for sex. Or making out. Um, If I want to talk about that, I'm going to call that sexual intimacy. But when I refer to intimacy, what I'm saying is the stuff of the soul, of the emotions of the mind, of our desire to be known, to belong, and to matter. Cool? So this deep longing we have to be known. I think all all humans have this. And I want our kind of um, backdrop of this talk to be in the fact that I think that this is really beautiful. I think our desire for intimacy actually um, has its origin place in God. You can go to the next slide, please, David. Kia ora. Um, So our desire for intimacy is something which is good and appropriate because it bears the image of God, because God is inherently relational and inherently connected. We have this understanding, um, the word Trinity isn't mentioned in the Bible, but it's a a doctrine or a concept that the church has kind of found to articulate the fact that we have a God, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are separate, yet are one. This God we worship is three in one, one in three. And humans are created in the likeness of this God. Three and one, one and three. We're created with the capacity for and the desire for interdependence, for relationship, to be known, to matter, and to belong. And scripture is pretty clear with us that the pathway for following Christ isn't about just being off on your own buzz and becoming like increasingly self-sufficient and kind of just being perfect on your own. It's about being connected to God through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. So we're invited into the relationship of the Trinity. And it's about being connected with other believers through the body of Christ. So it's actually our journey with Christ is into deeper connection. 
into the intimacy um, of God and into greater intimacy with other humans. The pathway for being a follower of Jesus isn't towards self-sufficiency. So God has created us with a need for other humans as part of who we are. Um, A core part of us, I think, is only found in relationship. And I was thinking about this, and I think that's because love is inherently about movement. It's about giving and receiving. It's a flow. It's not static. And so there's an aspect to which um, our experience of um, being being human and that divine imprint in us that is human um, is only discovered through relational outworking. I also just wanted to make the point, um, has anyone seen a baby human? They are so helpless and so useless for so long. We are so dependent on belonging, um, on mattering to somebody, um, and on being known in order to survive. Have you seen a baby shark? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to go there. Oh, it's so good. Um, Sharks, baby sharks are entirely badass from the moment they're born. They're just born, and then they're just out there eating other things in the ocean and just absolutely slaying it. It's crazy. They're not even parented. They're just off. Um, It is part of being created human that we um, require intimacy. From from cradle to grave, we require intimacy. So the backdrop of tonight is that intimacy is the desire for relationship where we can be known, be cared for, and belong. And this comes from our being created in the image of a relational God. So last week... um, For those of you who are here, Ari dropped this beautiful quote, which was, if we want the rewards of being loved, we have to submit to the mortifying ordeal of being known. Which I was like, oh, spoilers, so good, Ari. Um, And I think in our definition of intimacy, a key part of that is, is being known, as I've said, of letting ourselves be known by others. And that just immediately brings up the stuff of like, People will see the messy parts of me that I don't even really like on a bad day. And it kind of just opens the door into a whole bunch of crazy, webbed fears. Being known means people will see the messy part of me and what if they don't like it. So for most of us, intimacy and being known immediately brings up stuff around like trust issues, rejection fears, fear of embarrassment, fear of failure, fears of being powerless, fears of shame, fears of abandonment could go on. And this stuff comes up because we bring, um, we bring to our experiences of romance all of our other experiences of relationship. Humans do not store each relationship in its own little neat box where we like open the box and say, like, what's going to happen in here? It, it's all a big mess all over each other. Um, and it sounds weird the first time you hear this. I'm sure some, a bunch of you in the room have already heard this. But effectively, our romantic relationships are the spaces where a bunch of our earliest understandings of relationships, so like our, our family of origin, a bunch of the hurt from that space kind of comes up. Um, and a bunch of our um, best experiences of our family of origin comes up. So we seek um, in romantic relationships to restore the broken sore parts of us that um, weren't loved well, and um, to receive again the good things we had. That's kind of a thing that's going on in the, in the psyche of humans in the space of romance. And it makes sense, right? Like, if you grow up in a family that's 
um, like very critical and there's kind of not room for making mistakes, you're probably going to be a bit afraid of failing. And so if you're thinking about asking someone out on a date, the stakes are going to feel really high because it's like, oh, will it be all good? And like, how many kids do they want? And you're trying to work it all out. And it's like, kind of, the stakes seem up here because there's, there's less room in your worldview for um, it being like, I can just give it a try. And like, oh, if that doesn't work out, that's fine. Like, our, our, yeah, those kind of things happen, right? Same as, you know, if you um, have some experiences of being like rejected or bullied at school, for you, those fears are going to keep coming up. Even if you've been with someone for a really long time and they keep loving you, um, those like old things can, can keep cropping up. And part of the work of, um, of love is to, and being kind of loved back to life, is to be attentive to that and to go on journeys of healing with God in that. And so this mortifying ordeal of being known, whether it's like a hypothetical fear, like who here has ever just like not been afraid of something and then someone tells you about how they're afraid of it and then you become afraid of it? I've totally got that with like birds. My friend Gemma is just real freaked out about birds. And um, I always thought birds were all good, eh? And now I like sometimes I'm a bit sketchy around birds. It's just like, ah, no, I don't want that baggage. But, um, you know, so whether, <laughs> whether it's hypothetical or whether it's actually grounded in your own experience or, um, you know, small hurts or like really significant traumas, whatever, um, that stuff comes up and it, it gets in the way of us experiencing intimacy. It, it makes it scary for us to contemplate relationship which has any depth, romantic or otherwise. So we're created in the image of a relational God and we long for intimacy, but effectively we are shit scared of it. <laughs> so what I've been thinking about with this series is what is the gospel good news for intimacy? Where is Jesus' good news for this human longing, this reality where we long for intimacy? And the three things that I'm going to explore tonight in that is identity, community, and forgiveness. So, number one, identity. The first place I think that the good news of Jesus um, impacts this area of intimacy is that our first identity is that of the beloved. We are loved ones of God. Some things that scripture has to say about that in John's gospel at the start, he says, we are God's children. And later on in chapter 15, he said, we are Christ's friends. In Romans, it goes on this beautiful tirade about how there is nothing that can happen which can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about how we've been bought at a price and that price has been paid by Christ. And so we belong to God. Jesus came to reveal to us the heart of God towards his people, which is one of self-giving love. Which longs for, and God, God's heart longs for us to take up this identity as the beloved. So when we experience love and, and when we have the capacity for it, we know that that comes from the fact that we've, we've created in the image of a relational God and um, we experience this, this first love of God to us. But we also have other experiences of, of love, right? And 
I want to read to you a quote from um, Henri Nouan, who talks about, um, or Henri Nouan. You kind of, you get a few variations around. I don't know. Was he French? Not sure. Um, you can come up and share with me later. Um, yeah, and he's talking about the distinction between the first love and the second love we experience. So he says, The love that often leaves us doubtful, angry, frustrated, and resentful is the second love. That is to say, the affection, sympathy, encouragement, and support we receive from our parents, teachers, spouses, and friends. We all know how limited and broken, how very fragile that love is. Behind the many expressions of the second love, there is always the chance of rejection, of withdrawal, of punishment, of blackmail, of violence, even of hatred. Indeed, there is no friendship, marriage or community in which the strains and stresses of the second love are not keenly felt. But the radical good news is that the second love is only the broken reflection of the first love. And the first love is offered to us by a God in whom there are no shadows. Jesus' heart is the incarnation of the shadow-free first love of God. And from his heart flows streams of living water. Isn't that beautiful? There's this song um, by a worship entity. I don't know if they're a church. not sure. Called House Fires. Um, And there's this line that says, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. So the good news of the gospel is that Christ Jesus, no matter what happens in any of our other relationships, romantic or otherwise, in Christ we are given a sure identity as the beloved. That cannot be taken from us. The first love will not leave us. In Christ we have something we can never lose. So Christ comes saying, build your life on the rock, not on the sand. He says, build your life on the first love, not on the second love. Have your identity in the first love of God, not in the shifting sands of other people. And I think where this is good news is because when we have our identity in the first um, in the first love of God, it gives us a more secure platform from which we can relate to others. Um, and I think this is liberating in two different ways. For people um, who are like really hungry for love, like me, um, who uh, maybe have a tendency to kind of like want to grab love from other people, it gives me a, a settling and a peace to be able to relate to others. And for people who are really shy and really afraid of connection and have a tendency towards withdrawal, it gives them the freedom and the permission to express themselves and to, to reach out to other people. And so um, I have created a, a little diagram thing. Ooh, there it is. Um, trademark. Um, um, Daniel was uh, dropping the reference earlier about Disney Channel and, like, can, can you spot the secret Mickey? Um, so I don't know if I read this somewhere or if I just thought about this, but I think in the past, um, because I'm a really relational person, I would get a bit confused where myself and my relationships began and end. So if someone was a bit poor at me, or if something was going wrong, or if I'd let someone down, I was really devastated, because it felt like all of me was like, whoa! And then I kind of, yeah, don't know where this came from, but kind of had this, I just love a Venn diagram, mate. Um, this <laughs> visual has really helped me to understand that like, I have my own 
contained place, my own standing place in the world from which I relate to others and I invest in other relationships. And there's overlap, but that's not actually all of me. And so when things are hoha, when it's a bad day, when the relationship's under a lot of strain, whatever relationship that is, like that's okay. Some of me is impacted, but not all of me. And we'll come to this bit about the community of Christ before. I mean, next. Um, you know, God, he's omnipresent as <laughs> the past is the future. Um, so we, we have our secure place of standing with God. We have um, this other person we're related to, and we're creating this entity together where we're both investing in um, to this kind of third thing that we're building. And I really hope this is a helpful image for you guys. I think it'll be interesting for you guys to reflect on, on what this looks like for you. And that ideally is a mesh in this wider network of relationships in the community of Christ, which in turn is held by the very big love of God. Next slide, please. So another little bro tip from me. Um, this is just something I found helpful that I thought I would drop in there. Um, I have made many flowcharts in my life. And um, just putting it out there that um, asking myself, what is the worst that can happen? And then considering what, how would that be um, knowing that my identity is safe in God? Um, so whether that's something as minor as just like going and saying hello to someone you like or asking them on a date or contemplating spending the rest of your life with someone and being like, what if they get hit by a bus tomorrow? That's terrifying, you know? There's so many levels at which the worst thing can happen. Like there's nothing, like there's no sure guarantees. Um, a few years ago, I was talking with someone who shared this thing with me, which I didn't understand for a long time, but he was talking about um, the process of his heart becoming less numb. And when he held um, his first child in his arms, and he was like, whoa, God, if something happens to my son, it is going to be hard work between me and you. That is going to be rough. And he said, I had to almost hold before me um, his death in order to accept his life. To say, like, there's a risk that things might go wrong and I will be devastated if, if that happens. But the worst thing would be to not invest and to not love it all out of fear of it going wrong. And sometimes we have to consider, like, what's the worst that can happen? And in order to almost, like, go for the good things. Um, so, yeah, flowcharts, back them, leave that with you guys. Um, so, yeah, I just think there's this work of um, figuring out our interdependence with each other um, and figuring out what it means to be brave and to love um, with God, with our safe place of, as our primary identity in God. Um, it's just such good news, eh? Um, and it liberates us from the need to perform in order to love. It liberates the person that you're trying to be in a relationship for needing to kind of do all this stuff. Um, and it just, it's just good times. This is just such good news. Um, so point one, um, our identity in Christ is firstly as the beloved. Cool. Point two, community. So at this point, some of you might be thinking, Rose, I thought this was the one time you weren't talking about community. I came along for a chat about romantic relationships. Um, well, the reason for this is because I think the good news of the gospel is that we can unclutter 
our culturally conditioned expectations of intimacy. Getting our expectations right is liberating. And what I'm about to drop here, get ready for it, is no one person can fulfill all your human needs. So a friend told me that when I was 22. And I remember being like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Of course you're right. But I remember also being shocked because every Hollywood movie and pop song and Disney movie said, if they don't fulfill all your needs, something is wrong. No one person can meet all your needs. If, you, if we expect that someone's going to meet all our needs, we're just going to be sorely disappointed. And we're just going to really end up hurting each other. Yeah, hurt ourselves and hurt the other person by asking them to be more than they can be. We have been created to be interdependent, which means we need other people to help us get our needs met. Helpless babies, remember? But we actually need community. We need the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 says, and this is um, so crazy because this person's writing from prison. As a prisoner for the Lord, as, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were all called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And I just think this scripture is such an encouragement to the people about how they should be relating to one another as a community that's gathered in Jesus. Being humble and gentle and patient and bearing with each other in love. Understanding that you're part of a bigger oneness with God and with the Spirit. Knowing, this this is just such a vision of, of belonging and knowing that you are mattered and being known. The body of Christ should be a place for us of intimacy, a place where we can let our guard down, people can know us, people can say, you're important to me. A place where we can belong. And this is true even when we are in romantic relationships. It is is not the deal that we just trade off the body of Christ when we get kind of shacked up with somebody and kind of ride off into the sunset. No. So just just to have a rant here, I think a healthy vision of romantic relationships has been obscured um, by individualism. I think our societies are so deep in many ways. I think not all societies are, but the one that I live in is. And sometimes in church we can fall for that as well. Yeah, and I think that there's actually an idolatry that gets placed on romantic relationships, which is unhelpful, like somewhat debilitating. Um, and actually, we, we need to get back to this understanding that we need community. We need a wider network of belonging in the body of Christ in which our romantic relationships are enmeshed. So we're given this body of Christ, and in the bonds of love, we're part of God's family. And that is just such good news. Why that's good news is because it's really hard work to love people. Yeah, I just think there's, we need other people who are discerning um, where the Spirit is leading us, and we need other people that we can confide our 
can confide our fears in. And we need other people that can ask us hard questions, like calling us out on our insecurities and asking us how we're going in terms of our relationship with communicating with people digitally and asking us how we're going with a whole bunch of the myriad of um, just stuff that can can get in the way of good intimacy. Like, we, we don't have time to talk about porn, but the that whole space is um, just, just massive and really commonplace and actually, like, affects how we relate to each other. How we're going around um, relating to our colleagues and other people that we're journeying deeply with. Like, it's so actually commonplace to be highly committed to someone and have a crush on somebody else like journeying through that stuff we need other people to walk with us to talk with us to pray with us and to share any wisdom they have we need close friends we need the body of christ and so yeah in saying no one person can meet all your needs i hope that um, us really taking that to heart can enable us to be liberated to see where that person can meet our needs and to really value what they bring. And so, yeah, my hope is that um, for those of us who are absolutely hopeless romantics, it helps give us, gives us perspective on what it is good to expect from someone. A question that has plagued me most of my life is, is this reasonable? Am I being reasonable? And, and we, we need other people's help for that. For those of us who are prone to creating silos in our lives, um, or who are, I guess, have a tendency to withdraw. Um, yeah, we need the family of God to partner up with us and to, to give us courage and, um, yeah, to remind us that we have a safe belonging in the family and that we can be supported um, in our kind of ventures, romantic ventures. So, so the third point is around forgiveness. The, I was listening to a podcast recently by Nadia Boltz-Weber who described um, sin as the human propensity to um, muck things up. Just like the fact that we're just like quite good at just, oh, just made it, just got it wrong again. That's just the conditions that we're living in. The reality of humans is we do have a tendency to muck things up. And yeah, the reason why forgiveness is just such, such good news is that we need God as our unfixable space of worth because other people will make mistakes and we will make mistakes. And true forgiveness, I think, that brings deep healing is only found in Christ at, at the cosmic level of whatever happened on the cross. Um, just the, re- what's that word? Retributive? Retributive. Yeah, the retributive patterns of humans wanting to lay blame somewhere, or if I get hurt, that pain's got to go somewhere. I need a, it either goes into me and it hurts me, makes me bitter, or um, yeah, kind of smothers my life, or I need to put it on somebody else. But Jesus makes a way for the pain that we encounter to go to the cross. And for us to be liberated and for those around us to be liberated. Forgiveness, um, just, I don't even have any Venn diagrams for that. Hey, it's just like <laughs> some other level. Last year, um, I was at a wedding and um, Mark Johnson was, was taking the wedding. And he, um, it was Matt and Susie from, from Lyle Bay. And he said, Susie, Matt can be a great husband for you, but he will be a terrible God. And then, 
yeah, I just think us getting getting those things right around our expectations is really important. And recognising that no one is perfect. I think it's interesting that um, Jesus' disciples hit him up and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he says, okay, start by acknowledging God and God's goodness and ask for God's kingdom plans to emerge. Ask for the things you need for the day, you know, your daily bread. And then pray for forgiveness and in turn practice forgiving others. Pray for protection physically and spiritually and that all of this would line up for God's glory. And so there's pretty much two basic acknowledgements that Jesus is making of that. That we have daily needs that we need to bring before God and that we will stuff things up and we will need God's help. So Jesus is really like, yep, you guys want to make mistakes. That's, that's part of it. Um, and so in romantic relationships, we shouldn't be surprised when people hurt us or when we hurt them. Jesus isn't surprised. Now, this doesn't mean that if someone is hurting you in a repeated way, you should just accept that and be like, yeah, you know, that's just how it is without working through that. And that's where the importance of having other people with a view into your relationships is really important. But it does mean that we shouldn't expect that we or others will be perfect. No human practices perfect love. We're all practicing the second love. And we're, we're operating in a world under imperfect conditions. And so, what do we do? As followers of Jesus, um, we have this um, going on in Ephesians 4. We have this lovely description of what it's like to be in loving relationship with each other. So I'm going to jump back in and read a bit more from this passage. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might be a benefit for those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. And I, I think that bit at the end is the bit I want to focus on, where it says, get rid of all bitterness. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. The good news of the gospel is that God, through Christ, treats us better than we deserve. God gives us the gift of grace, and there's no retribution. And Jesus himself, um, you know, went on about this, and the letters to the early church encourage us to do the same, and to choose that way of forgiveness. To choose, to choose, to choose. And I think um, my belief is that this isn't about um, like God being preoccupied with the other person, but it's it's kind of like a parent who um, like is encouraging their kid to eat their vegetables. It's like it might feel like it's just awful, but it's actually for our own well-being. It's out of God's care for us as well as the other person that we are liberated from resentment, liberated from um, bitterness, which can just poison our own selves. And this is all the more so important when you are dating someone um, within your own community. Um, I just want to say, there is a powerful legacy in this church of people dating and breaking up and staying together as the body of Christ. Um, So, you know, the stakes for failure are not high. Um, 
yeah, it is, it is possible to be, to be reconciled through forgiveness. And breakdown of romantic relationship doesn't mean a breakdown of the relationship in the body of Christ. The weird thing about the family of God is that we can stay in the family of God with people we've broken up with, which is where the metaphor kind of falls down a little bit and can become a little bit creepy. But <laughs> it is good news. The wider networks of relationship can hold us and we can hold, um, we can be held together um, as the extended family of God, even if romantic relationships break down. And so I guess with all of this, I want to bring a bit of a vision of intimacy, of, of what I would love to see for us. I would love to see all of us pursuing um, whatever it is that, that we want to pursue around romantic relationships. To be able to choose to let ourselves be known, to belong, and to matter. And I, I know that um, this is just such courageous work to continue to like do the hard work of being seen and being known um, under the conditions we have in this world. But I, I, would, I would love to, um, just to see us all continue to find freedom to be able to choose that and to try that. To be able to reach out to, for support for those around us as the community of Christ and to just be to be open, to be known in our romantic relationships um, and not pre- pretend that we should be self-sufficient or we should all know how to do this. And, yeah, with these values of being known and of belonging and of knowing you are deeply cared for, I also want to bring that um, the vision of Blueprint Leadership around sexual intimacy is that we think the best expression of sexual intimacy is within the confines of a committed relationship, of a space where you are known, a space where you do deeply belong and you know that you matter to someone. We believe, and this will kind of come later in the series, that um, covenant provided by marriage or same-sex blessing is like the high ideal of that. That's the kind of best God-given expression of that. And so we expect our leaders to uphold this commitment. But we're a community where a lot of different people come in with different experiences, and so everyone is welcome to participate, no matter what your experience or your practice is. We can um, we can hold that, but that is, um, I guess, under the vision of like intimacy. The vision of sexual in- intimacy is one of um, yeah, deep commitment and deep belonging and deep being known. So I just want to finish with. Um, It's kind of a a bit of a bittersweet quote by C.S. Lewis, which is a bit classic, really. We've seen tonight that um, there's vulnerability that's just inherent to loving other humans, and and hurt is just just going to come up. But forgiveness is made possible for us because of Jesus' death on the cross, and that is incredibly good news. No thing can separate us from the love of God. So C.S. Lewis says, There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure you keep it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully around hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, earless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable. 
So there, there's an immense risk um, in, in love, um, either kind of the intimacy we experience romantically or like just friendships, family, your colleagues, even an animal. <laughs> but a way through that is, is, is made for us because of the good news of Christ. The good news is that in Christ we have a secure place as the beloved of God from which we can relate to others. We have the body of Christ, which is a wide place of belonging that we can stand in and which our romantic relationships can kind of sit within. And in Jesus, we have a, a way made for us to receive and to give forgiveness so that when we don't stack up, which we won't all the time, our relationships can be liberated from bitterness and our, the hurt of our mistakes. And that is such good news.